right, we are in Ephesians chapter 2 this evening. So if you have your Bible there, and I hope you do, turn there. If you don't, well, you might be able to find one on your phone, uh, but there's probably one in the chair in front of if you don't have one tonight. But we are in Ephesians chapter 2, and we have spent really, I guess, three weeks now, three different Sunday evenings in the book of Ephesians, or the letter to the Ephesians, let me say it that way. And as Paul was writing the first day, we just kind of looked at who Paul was. Right? We looked at, he said, he said, I'm this apostle, and we looked at who the Ephesians were, and we went into Acts and saw that Paul had spent a considerable amount of time in Ephesus, uh, perhaps as much as three years, and so he knew them well. This isn't some dry theological letter. Uh, it wasn't just, here's some things I want you to know. He cared about these people, and so we are also um, included in that. This is a letter from God to us. And then as we got into it, we saw that kind of a top down, we saw that God had a plan before the foundation of the world to bring salvation to this world. That he had a plan for you and me, says he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. He knew and had a plan of redemption since before anything was ever created. And then last week, we kind of looked at almost a more personal view of salvation. We started out as with us being dead in our trespasses and sins. And then at the end, right there in verse 4, if you have your Bible open, it had that very big word, but. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, church, you've been saved through faith. It's not of works. It's not of ourselves. And I'm going to continue to ask you in person, as we meet at different times, and I asked the Sun, I taught the youth Sunday school class this morning. I asked them, and I'm going to keep coming back to this. How is it that we are able to go to heaven? What do we have to do? And the question is all, and the answer is always: We come by faith. We come, and we are saved by grace. It is the gift of God. You cannot earn it. And I'm going to go over that over and over and over again. Because salvation is not of works. And it says it explicitly right here in this text. And so we just see this great view of, of grace. God loves us, and we didn't do anything to deserve it. It was all because of Him. It's because of His nature and His character and His goodness. But tonight we're going to see salvation in a really a different way. He's going to start in verse 11 and kind of go back through the gospel again. But this time, instead of being an individual focus, he's really looking at us as a people, as the Gentiles, as a community, as a fellowship, as a church. What does it mean for God to bring his salvation, not just to me, but to the Gentile world? And how is he going to unify the Jews and the church? And so we see that in today's text. But I want you to see it's still the message of salvation. And we're going to carry this through, it's going to carry through all the way in through chapter 3 where, until where he gets to, to the point where he prays for them again. And then in chapter 4, he gets to the practical commands. So here we are, we're in Ephesians chapter 2. Let's look down at verse 11. I'm just going to read through the text. If you would, stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's Word. Therefore remember that formerly you... The Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. 
But now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier, the dividing wall, by abolishing his flesh, in his flesh, the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, by it having put to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. Amen. This is God's word for us tonight. You may be seated. So we get to verse 11 and 12, and we have some bad news, really. If you, if you were just to kind of look at that. I'm pausing just a moment here. There's a piece of paper somewhere over there. I don't think that's it either, but it's fine. Yep. I have my notes, but I like to work on an outline. I, I don't like to have my notes in front of me. Well, here they are right here. On, on the Sunday night, I, you know, on Sunday nights, I like to be able to ask questions. And so what I do is kind of like the handouts I've given you in the past. I just like to outline the text and kind of walk through this little by little. But as we look at verses 11 and 12, we see the, the bad news of who we formerly were. It's kind of like, and it really parallels the first part of chapter 2. So those first three verses at the beginning says you were dead in your trespasses and sins and talk about it. When we look at verse 11, it says he wants us to remember. That's the main verb here. Remember, get it in your mind that this is where you came from. It says formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called the uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision. It says I want you to remember you were the Gentiles. Anybody know what a Gentile is? Uh, all right, I heard in us. What was that? Anybody other than a Jew, right? If you were not Jewish, if you were not part of Abraham's family, his direct descendants, or at least one who was, was a proselyte who had come in and married into the family and converted, gone through a whole process, guess what? You were not Jewish. And so in other words, he's saying to everybody else, in the whole rest of the world, to all the nations and people groups that are out there, you were called the uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision. Now, uh, we'll come back to what that means in a minute. But here's what, look at verse 12. He, he really hammers this home. He says, remember that you were at that time, or you were formerly like this, once separate from Christ. You didn't have the promises of the Messiah even that was coming. The Jews had that information. They knew the promise made to David. They knew the promise that a Savior was coming. They knew all the way back in Genesis that somebody was coming that was going to crush the head of the serpent. So they had those promises. We didn't have them. The rest of the world didn't have them. They were excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. You can imagine that if you were part of the nation of Israel, there were a lot of blessings that would come with that. For one, you knew the Ten Commandments. You had the ability to understand what God wanted from you. You had 
his direct communication with his people. He had the ways that he blessed his people. Well, if you were a Gentile, guess what? You didn't have it. And then it said you were strangers to the covenants of promise. We're going to come back to those covenants in just a minute, but all the covenants that are made, all the promises that had been made to Israel, made to the Jews. And he's saying, listen, you didn't have any of that, did you? So just a generation ago for the Ephesians, none of them even knew anything about those promises. And then the last part of verse 12 is the, is the worst. You had no hope and were without God in the world. Isn't that, that's pretty bleak there, isn't it? Saying, listen, you were in a place spiritually where you didn't even know who God was and you had no hope. And so it makes it, as we look at the miracle of salvation, that much better when he re we realize that he's going to take a people that were separate from Christ, without hope, without God in the world, excluded from God's people, and he's going to adopt them into his family. Isn't that what we read in chapter 1? He said, uh, I'll go back and read it so I don't misquote it. It says in, ver in chapter 1, verse 5, it says, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, according to God's kind purposes and his providence and his plan for all of history, for what he was going to do. He had a plan to adopt you who did not know God into his family. That's what he's going to do. Now, back in verse 11, again, he said he called us the Gentiles in the flesh and called us the uncircumcision. You guys know why that's there, right? If you go back and the, look in the Old Testament, circumcision was a sign that you were part of the covenant. And so if you were part of Abraham's family, if you were a male child, you were circumcised on the eighth day. And that was continued to go on. And if you were uh, part of the people around them, you probably thought, those guys are weird. I don't know why they do that. But it was a sign that you were not part of that family. It was just pointing out again that, hey, you were excluded from these things. You're not part of Abraham's family. Now, I would like to take a moment. If you would turn within your Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. While you're turning there, I'll tell you why. It says, we were strangers to the covenants of promise. A covenant is kind of like a contract. It's like a legal agreement. Only in these agreements that we're talking about with this covenant, God is the one making the agreement. And God never goes back on his word. He always keeps his promises. So if he said it, we know we can count on it. But there are a number of covenants in the Old Testament. I want you to think about a few of these. In chapter 12, verse 1, now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now he made that promise to Abraham. I want you to look very carefully in those verses 1 through 3. Do you see any conditions laid out in that promise? In other words, does God say, if you do this, this, and this, I will make you a great nation? You don't find any conditions. 
Because this is a straight up promise that he makes to Abraham. He simply tells them, go from your country. I'm going to make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. And then that blessing is going to extend to all of the world. And we're going to see that in Genesis chapter 17. So if you want to, you can turn there as well. If it doesn't have conditions and he makes this covenant and just says, this is what I'm going to do, you think we could maybe call that a covenant of promise? And by the way, that promise made to Abraham, that covenant runs through the entire Bible. Until you get to the end of Revelation, God is still working out the promise that he made in Genesis to Abraham. That covenant never goes away. Okay? That promise is still valid. Yes, we have the new covenant now, but that didn't invalidate the promise that he made to Abraham. Uh, and we'll see that as we get farther into the text today. Genesis chapter 17, if you look at verse 1, hear what it says. Now when Abram was nine, 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will establish my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you will be with the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I will make, your father, you, make you the father of a multitude of nations. I have made you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings will come forth from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you. I will give to you and to your descendants after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. God said to Abraham, Now as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you, throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. Did you hear that? He made it again, this great promise. Here's what I'm going to do from you. And did you hear what he said at the end? Every male among you is going to be circumcised. All these great promises he's making to his family are just to those that are circumcised. It's just to the descendants of Abraham. Now, the thing is, though, he promises again that this promise will bless all the peoples of the earth. And so even here we see that, yes, God is specifically blessing Abraham's family, but is God concerned about everybody else? Yes. Even from the beginning, he had a plan that was always going to work forward or be carried out in, among all the nations. What did we study this morning? Make disciples, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, right? That plan that he's making right here is going to be carried out through the church as we take the gospel to the nations. Now, we're still talking about covenants of promise. Um, remember, it said, uh, I want you to think of another covenant. Anybody, other, anybody else remember another famous Old Testament covenant? I could tell you one that he made to Moses, right? He gave us the law. The interesting thing with the law, the covenant made to Moses, is while it came with some promises, it was conditional. 
In other words, God said, if you will keep this, I will do, I will bless you and do these things. If you do not keep it, you're out. He makes some harsh judgments in the covenant to Moses. And so I have a hard time calling that a covenant of promise, but there are promises in it. But it's not quite the same as the covenant made to Abraham, which was unconditional. Do we live under the covenant of Moses today? We don't. Because Christ has already fulfilled the covenant made to Moses. It's already been done. It's already been carried out. It doesn't pass away. It's still, we can still read it. We learn from it. We learn how to obey and walk with the Father through it. We learn how to live. But do we live under it in the sense that if we follow the law, we'll be saved? We don't. But, like, but what about the promise to Abraham? Is still valid. He's still carrying out his promise to bless all the nations of the earth through that family. And guess what? Whose family would Jesus come from? Yeah, from the Jews, right? Through Abraham's family. There's one more, uh, actually two more covenants I want to mention before we get back into Ephesians. The second one is, or the next one is the Davidic covenant. It's the covenant made to King David. And it also came with simple promises. Uh, you can find it if you want to look it up later. It's 2 Samuel chapter 7. Verses 8 through 17. I won't read it off now. But it's the promise that God was going to raise up a descendant of David, this coming king or Messiah's kingdom, would last forever. In other words, he told David, Someone's coming from your family. He's going to be the king, and his reign will have no end. He will rule and reign forever. Well, who's that talking about, church? That's right. But did the Gentiles know about this? Most of them didn't. They didn't know about the promise that was coming from David. But the Jews had that benefit. One last covenant. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 33. This is the promise of a new covenant that was coming. Here he says, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers on the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. You hear that? It's not like the covenant made with Moses. My covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant which I will make will make um, sorry. But this is the covenant with which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and on their heart. I will write it, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Listen, when you go back into Moses and those conditions that was hard to accept because if you didn't keep the law, you really were out. At least if you approached the law as a law and not as a promise of God. If you didn't approach it with faith. If you thought, if I just do all the rules, I'll be good to go. Guess what? How many people could fulfill the law of Moses? We have one, right? We have one, Jesus. And and it's almost cheating because he's fully God and fully man. And so he's a little bit different than us, and yet similar to us, this, in some ways the same. He fully was human. Uh, I want to be careful with how I word that. Uh, but he was also fully God. And so he was able to carry out the law. But the new covenant, he said, listen, it's not like that covenant which you broke. Which, in other words, if I wanted to, I could put these curses on you right now that were in the, the promises to Moses. But instead, 
God goes, he always goes back to this covenant he made to Abraham. He says, you know what, though? I promised I was going to make Abraham's family a great people. And I promised I was going to bless all the world through them. So guess what? I'm going to make a new covenant. There's going to be a new promise. A new day is coming. And there, instead of counting on them to fulfill the law, he says, I'm going to write that law on your heart. I'm going to put it in here. I'm going to take out that heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I'm going to be your God. No conditions. And that's what we find in Ephesians. So turn back into Ephesians chapter 2 if you are out of it. I got too many handouts up here tonight, church. So go back into Ephesians chapter 2. I'll get there myself. Think about all those great promises we just heard. We were excluded. We didn't know about them. Verse 13 Just like in chapter 2, verse 4, switched everything. It said, but God there, and God made us alive. Verse 4 says, but now in Christ, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13, but now in Christ, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You were not a people. I have brought you to me through the blood of Christ. Verse 14 says, for he himself is our peace who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances. We'll stop there for a moment. So it says here, Jesus is our peace. The end of the strife and the separation, not just with us and God, but between us and God's chosen people in the Old Testament, The ending of the division between Jews and Gentiles we find right here in verse 14. Christ did it. It says he he made both groups into one. He brought them into one new family of faith. Just one, there's one faith and one family. We get later on in Ephesians can say there's one faith, one God, one Father of all. There's just one faith, one baptism. And so we know that as we see this, we wonder sometimes, well, how, do we, how does this play out between Jews and Gentiles today? There's one covenant. There's one way of salvation. And it's given to us through Jesus. And we find as we read the New Testament, some of the, the Jews would reject Jesus and others would gladly come in by faith. And when it comes to salvation, if you look in Galatians, there is no distinction between Jew and Gentile or Greek or Scythian or uh, male or female or slave or free. There is no distinction when it comes to salvation. We all find ourselves in this new covenant, the new promise made to us that has been bought by the blood of Christ. Verse 15, again, he did this by abolishing in his flesh the enmity. In other words, he fulfilled the law, and the law was what separated us. It wasn't really the promise to Abraham, although it was there. You see, if you think about Israel, they were supposed to be a distinct and separate people, that the nations around them would see how they lived and would desire to be like that. It would, they were to be marked as different. And the law of Moses taught them, hey, this is how you should live. Don't murder. Right? 
Don't covet your neighbor's wife. Don't steal. Don't have these idols. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. And we know the Ten Commandments. Well, you know, the people of the world didn't know them. And they're watching and going, well, what's different about this people? Well, now that's been fulfilled. And now we even get the benefits of it. We learn in the distinction between the Jews and Gentiles in this text. is saying, listen, in his flesh he abolished the difference. He tore down the wall that was between us. And now we are one people. There's one group. And look down at verse 15. It, says, it gives a purpose statement. He did all this so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace. And he might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, by it having put to death the enmity. On the cross, again, he paid the penalty for that covenant to Moses. If you are guilty of sin, no matter where you go in the Scripture, the penalty is always the same. It's death. That Christ took the death penalty for us, and through that he has put to, in, in some ways, he has fulfilled the law so that now while we do our best to follow it, it is not our way into heaven. But I love it. He says he, he took the two, Israel and the Gentiles, and made them into one man, to one people. That we now come together, not as an ethnic group, not as this race or that race or this nationality and that one. We come together as God's people, adopted into God's own family. And because of that, we are able to come together into one church, to one body. Verse 17 is a quote from Isaiah 57. It says, He came and He preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. He came and he preached the message of reconciliation to the Jews first and then to the Gentiles as well. He went to those that, that understood and should have been waiting on the arrival of the Messiah. He went to them first. And he said, this is the way of salvation. I'm here. The King is here. Your Savior is here. And as many of them believed, and we know, unfortunately, that some did not, but then he also took the gospel to the rest of the world to fulfill that promise to Abraham. And he's carrying it out. We now, he preached peace to those who were near and to those who were far. Verse 18 says, For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. Jew or Gentile, you have access to God. Remember in verse 12 where it said, You had no hope and were without God in the world. Guess what, church? We have God, and we have hope. And it's according to this, we have access to Him through the Spirit. So we can go to Him at any time. We have access to Him. Didn't we talk about prayer last week? We can boldly approach the throne of grace. We can go before Him because of this reconciliation. Christ has paid the penalty. You are considered clean and pure and holy in God's sight. You can go before Him and as a loving Father. He wants to hear from you. Verse 19, kind of begin to sum this up a little bit more. He says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but your fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. You hear that? We are now citizens of God's people, of God's kingdom. And we're together. We're not strangers and aliens. That is, we didn't just come across the border. We're not immigrants. We have citizenship in God's kingdom. We belong there. We have all the rights that come with it. It will not be removed from us. And 
It's not just of any country. It is of God's household. Isn't that a blessing? I mean, when you get to Philippians, he he just straight up says, listen, we are citizens of heaven. And that's exactly what this verse is teaching us. But wouldn't you rather be, instead of Jews and Gentiles, well, how about we be a people of God's kingdom? Now, let me ask you this. If there was a real distinction between Jews and the rest of us. They had the promises. They had the blessings. They had so many things. If God can tear down the barriers between Jews and Gentiles, how much more should we tear down barriers between different races? Should there be a distinction among us between white and black or Asian or Mexican or whatever the race may be? When it comes to the gospel, we are all the same. We're all one people in the church. And I want to say that, again, I want to emphasize that there was a real distinction between Jew and Gentile. That Christ had to die on that cross to break down that barrier. He didn't have to die on the cross to break down the barrier between races. We're already just one people. It's just the Jews and everybody else. And we are everybody else. And so I'm so thankful for what he's done and, and so thankful for this. But we need to be careful that we don't draw unnecessary barriers between people. Now, I love that verse 20 says, All this has been built on the apostles and the prophets. So you have the, the prophets, the teaching of the Old Testament. He just quoted out of Isaiah all the promises that were made to Israel of what was to come. And then you have now the foundation of the apostles, the teaching of the apostles, as the New Testament explains this to us. And it says this, Christ himself is the cornerstone that all these teachings, all the promises hang on one thing, Jesus Christ. It's all based on him. It says, it's in him whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. You guys realize that? That we, as a church, as people, are being built into the dwelling place of God? I, that's beautiful. It is a privilege. It is incredible. But it's also something not to take lightly, isn't it? If we are God's dwelling place, how much should we pursue holiness and pursue just being able to, to please Him and make ourselves a clean vessel? You know, the Scripture tells us that some people, you know, we have to make ourselves clean so we be of honorable use. Yeah, we're getting to heaven, but He's still doing that work of sanctification making us more like Jesus while we live. And so I just want to point that out here. That we have this beautiful miracle. You were far off, and he brought you near. And at the end of this, so that we would be God's people and even his dwelling place. Uh, I'm going to wrap this up with that. I, if you, here's what I want you to do for homework. Read chapter 3. We're going to probably skip some of chapter 3 and kind of pick up at the prayer at the end of it. Because the next part, what he's going to talk about is how he is the apostle to the Gentiles. He's going to talk about how beautiful this mystery is that 
that people have been wondering for ages, how is it going to work between Jew and Gentile? How is God going to carry out these promises? And so he's going to talk about that in chapter 3, and we'll pick up at the prayer uh, next week uh, in verse 14. But church, if, again, God can do this, what can he do in Forest Heights community? If he can bless the world and do all this and bring us who were far in, who were far away without God and without hope in the world, if he can give us hope and give us God, give us himself and do that new work in us, how much more can he save the lost in our community? Have you ever met someone, and I, I've said this already, but have you ever met someone and thought, that's a hopeless cause? God could never save someone like that. Well, I'll tell you this, there's a lot of people whose testimony is, people used to tell me I was a hopeless cause, and I, God could never save me, and there they are preaching the gospel. There's a lot of people like that. And so I just want to give you hope tonight. Listen, you, were, you used to be far off. You were without hope, without God in the world. But he had a plan before the foundation of the world to bring you into his very family. So let's rejoice in that, be family together, but let's trust in his promises and that he is continuing to do that work today. We're going to have a time of invitation. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for an opportunity to get in your word tonight. I thank you for just being able to to see what it says in the letter to the Ephesians, Father, that you have brought together Jew and Gentile. You have brought, provided salvation not just for one people, but for all who would come by faith. Father, I thank you for that, and I pray that you would give us confidence to take the gospel to the lost as we see your great promises. Help us to trust you, to walk by faith. Father, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And God puts it all together. He even put together this song to go along with exactly what he was talking about. Now I belong to Jesus. Let's stand as we sing.